Welcome to Renovation Secrets Podcast, episode number four, where we hope to untangle some of the mysteries of the renovation industry. I am your host, Natalia Pierce, and today we are joined by a very special guest. With over 35 years of experience in the industry, she has achieved the honor of Certified Master Kitchen and Bath Designer. I'd like to welcome Anastasia. Tell me a little bit about how you got started in the industry. Well, I've... um... I started in the kitchen business in 86 and I worked for a company for five years. And unfortunately um, they made some wrong financial decisions. They went belly up. They did owe me a lot of money um, back commissions and salary. And so they opted to do the right thing and um, give me one of their showrooms in the, which was in Mississauga in the West end. Um, and I, it was just cabinets. It was just boxes and laminate countertops at the time. And so I went there and I worked hard, hard, hard. Um, make a long story short, we actually, we were about to be kicked out because they also lost the building. And we, um, I bought the building uh, with money that my borrowed from my mother and my dad. Okay. And uh, worked hard. Uh, I think just to work very hard. At the end of the day, I joined NKBA, which I learned a lot from being able to, um, see that you're not the only one that has those issues or problems. It's, it's right across the industry. When you started in the industry, did you have formal uh, kitchen and bath training or? No, no, I was trained. I was trained in um, with the first company, um, how to measure and how to uh, put the kitchen together. Well, like okay. I said, in the eighties, it was boxes with laminate countertops. Yeah. Um, if you got a microwave cabinet at the, on an upper cabinet, you, it was a huge bonus. Okay. <laughs> Once I joined NKBA, I learned a lot, um, not only to be able to compare issues and problems that business owners have, but also um, uh, you learn. I went to a lot of, I mean, I took more seminars than I can, than I can count, like seminars after seminar. And I went to KBiz and I got involved with um, NKBA executives. So I was on the executive for about, I don't know, 18 years. And then I joined the, um, uh, well, I joined the national. So I was on the board of directors there for about seven years. Okay. So I, I got that whole national spectrum of how things work. Um, you know, hired people and let go of people, uh, you know, because I think you have to have a passion for what you're doing. And oh, a lot really? of people that work in the industry are more order takers. So this is what makes the difference between um, a designer and an, and an order taker. The order taker tells you, um, uh, what would you like in your kitchen? How do you want me to do this? And the designer is the one that asks the questions. Yeah. You know, what are you looking for? Family, how you work in the kitchen, et cetera, et cetera. And these are things I guess I learned from NKBA. I became certified as a kitchen designer and as a bathroom designer. And now I have my CMKBD, Certified Master. Yeah, no, the, the kitchen industry has definitely evolved significantly. If You know, I, I remember reading an article about... Um, when they first came out with solid surfaces and they figured that the seven or eight colors that they started with were going to be all that was ever needed. <laughs> and you think now how many options there are, it's actually quite overwhelming for many clients. That's right. So you mentioned your certification and I know when I found NKBA um, and I had come from a decorating background with a little bit of a structural element, because I started off in architectural uh, technology but when I found NKBA, it was like the only resource out there yes. that was specific to kitchen and bath design. So I know you said that you went and got certified and, and it, it has made, I know it's made a huge difference for me personally. Do you know where it makes the difference? It's not that, yes, you know, it gives you credibility to the client, but it makes a difference having to study for those exams and learning through the process. For sure. Because, um, you can't pass unless you have a 70. Yeah. And um, uh, and that's how I also got into the uh, renovation part of the industry because in a kitchen, it's not a matter of putting boxes on the walls. It's If, if it's all yeah. going to work, you know, if you're moving plumbing and electrical and all that good stuff. So um, it's that knowledge and understanding of plumbing and electrical and structural and all of those elements that people are really unaware of when it yes. comes to what's required. So I find that's where 
the knowledge of a kitchen and bath designer specifically is so much different than just interior design and no disrespect to interior designers. You know, they're really great at what they do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, again, I'm not an interior designer. I don't consider myself an interior designer. I didn't go to school for interior design. Um, but, uh, you know, I consider myself a, a real good specialist for kitchen and bathrooms because yeah. I've done so many. And so, you know, let's be realistic. The person that has um, 30 years experience in the industry versus five years or 10 years in the industry, the 30 years is, is going to know more just because they've, they've been through all the mistakes. For I mean, sure. and, 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 you know, there's always new things come up that, oh, I haven't experienced this in the last 35 years that I've been doing this. Yeah. Wow. So what was what was your first biggest mistake, if you don't mind sharing, when you first started in your career? Oh, my goodness gracious. My first big... I think um, the biggest mistake that I find, not myself only, uh, but people in general, is um, uh, being upfront and communicating with a client. Okay. I think that's the biggest mistake anybody can make. It's what it's it's setting down the expectations for both parties. Yeah. I think if the expectations are um, are discussed and everybody knows what everybody else is expecting, I expect to get paid at the end of the day and you expect to have a good kitchen at the end of the day. And we are only as good as the people that work for us at the end of the day. And so I think open communication is really, really key. That's number one. And as far as, you know, what did I do in kitchens? Well, you know, what mistakes I've personally made, like on a, on a job site? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, there's, well, I mean, there's multiple aspects of that. I mean, there's, there's client errors, there's, you know, other kitchen errors, measuring errors, you know, oversights, different yes. things like that. We've all done measuring errors where it's 365 and I read 356. Yep. And so um, I don't measure twice. I measure three times and sometimes four. Yeah. Because of mistakes that have made in the past. Fair you enough. Know, I'd rather be 150% sure, not 100, rather than make a yep. mistake. That mistake is so costly, not only financially, emotionally, financially, client relations, um, uh, no repeat business after that. I mean, there's just so many mistakes that yeah. can happen. Time that lapses because you didn't take this into consideration. Now you've got to wait another three or four weeks for something to be remade. So, yeah, the, the, I find the mistake, the level of mistakes in the kitchen and bath industry are not catastrophic, but they are significant. So the the attention to detail to avoid those mistakes, and of course that you know avoiding mistakes comes definitely with experience. I think the worst mistake. And I mean, it wasn't horrific. Um, I had three kitchens that went in in a row and I didn't have appliance specs. And the cabinet above Ooh. the fridge wasn't big enough. And I, I discovered it on the first one. And before the other two were being installed, I had already made the correction. But that was, you know, lesson number one. Always, 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 always have the appliance specs. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, um, I don't put any projects through now unless I have everything chosen, including the handles. Yeah, for sure. It uh, Because it, the other mistake, you asked me about mistakes and I was thinking about, the other mistakes is that uh, promising clients things that are going to be difficult for you just to keep the client happy. Yeah. I don't think you should do that. I think you need to do what... Like the client wants it in four weeks. Yep, I can get it to you in four weeks. Well, you know it's going to be a, a challenge for you to get it in four weeks. Yeah. And you're going to stress yourself out. And you're going to stress everybody that works for you. Why are you doing it? Because the client doesn't want to work, wait five weeks? Yeah. You know, it's... Um, Under so, promise and over deliver. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. The one I know you had mentioned about your team and, and trades, and I know I worked for a builder... Um, at the beginning of my career. And he made the comment to me that clients come and go and your trades are with you for the long haul. And that really stuck with me because that relationship that you build with your trades yes. is so critical because yes. without them, we're nothing. It's yep. just, it's just an idea. We on are paper. only as good as the people that work for us. And if you have a showroom and you have staff, as the salespeople that worked for us. I mean, I had a salesman once. I, so I was doing complete turnkey projects, cabinets, countertops, renovations, and I could do product tiles, et cetera, et cetera. So he would 
sell the kitchen because I would give them 10% on the renovations and, and the kitchen. Or, or the kitchen was a, a fluctuation depending on the discounts they gave out. Okay, so I gave them that play. If you want to really sell the kitchen, you want a little more discounted, then everybody makes a little less money. Yep. Okay. So anyway, so he would give me the kitchen and countertops and he would sell the renovation to some other renovator, not sell it, give it to him. Yep. And he gets 10% discount and he doesn't have to do anything. <laughs> yeah. And, and that was fine. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah, definitely some challenges. Mm-hmm. I'm blo- the, the other thing that I found as a huge challenge in being a business owner is um, employees. Huge challenge. Well, and I think it's it's become a national a national issue trying to find good qualified yes. trades that uh, are skilled and comp you know that can do the job. So it it is definitely a challenge. But I find too that you know having such a, a strong white collar society, the schools very rarely um, promote trade occupations for kids coming through school nobody wants the you know it's all university or or college oriented and and i find the trades have really struggled and and it's too bad i mean i blew i grew up in a blue collar family and Mm -hmm. my father was a mechanic Mm -hmm. and my son has gone on to be a mechanic and he's you know he's fourth generation so it's an honorable trade and everybody needs to you know Go follow their passion, and is this an auto mechanic? Yes, my husband's an auto mechanic. Yeah, yeah. No, and like I said, my son is is fourth generation because his father, his grandfather, and his great grandfather were all mechanics. Wow, so, and Amazing. he's just a natural. So, Amazing. Yeah, it is. So when it comes to client relationships, um, and I, I've started kind of focusing on some of those emotional things that that nobody likes to talk about, which they certainly don't talk about on HGTV and stuff like that, that, you know, renovations are an extremely emotional time for homeowners. And not everybody can, first of all, handle the chaos and, Mm -hmm. you know, the destruction and the mess and whatnot. How do you prepare your clients for the process that's about to come? Okay. Um, first of all, I've renovated my house a couple of times, so I've been through the process, but, you know, um, having said that, um, and my first renovation was in the late nineties. So I renovated my whole main floor. So, okay. But having said that, um, I give them the worst scenario. Your house is going to be under construction. It'll be a war zone down here. We do clean up afterwards, but understand that if as much as we cover, Dust will creep everywhere you never thought dust existed. So I do prepare them. I also prepare them how to set up a kitchen someplace else in the house so that they can function. Most people do not move out of their house. I would say maybe 1% move out. Yeah. The rest all stay in. So they need to prepare how they're going to live through two to three months of um, chaos in their home. Um, I did a kitchen once. Um, It was a new home, but they changed the kitchen. And the lady had just had two twins, had a, a set of twins. And she just had given birth to another set of twins. So she had two sets of twins, four babies, all under the age of 14 months. Wow. So 14 months and newborns. <laughs> and she set up the laundry room upstairs with the bottles and the feeding and all that stuff. And I always say to myself, if she can do it, everybody else, it's it's like, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's no big deal. So I do set them up. I do give them the worst scenario. Um I think you need to, you can't, you can't paint it roses because it's not roses. Exactly. But if you have under made the decision to go through this process, you have to go through this in order to get to this. I mean, anything you do in life, whatever you decide to do in order to buy a car, you have to go through the process of looking for one and test driving one or whatever. So there is a process in everything we do in life to get to what we want to accomplish. To get a job, you have to go through interviews For to sure. get to what you want, et cetera. So renovation, the same thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I know, um, you know, I find giving clients the heads up that there is going to come a time, and for everybody it's different, but there's going to come a time during the renovation that you're going to feel that this was the worst 
thing you've ever, you could have ever decided to do. And I said, it will pass. But generally, there's, there's a time where you kind of reach a breaking point. And you know, the other thing that I've done in the past, not with every client, is that I would give them, let's say, um, you know, a hundred dollar um, coupon to go to a restaurant one night and have dinner on me, yeah. as an example. So, you know, occasionally I'll do something like that, or my referrals, depending on the referral you gave, they gave me, and how much, you know, I take a basket of whatever and and give them a, you know, a, a, some kind of a financial reward. I got a, a job of almost two hundred thousand dollars. Well, you know, I wanted to say thank you. Yeah, no, for sure. It's it's a level of appreciation. Mm-hmm. Do you come, and, and a lot of this comes from the, the skill of your trades too, is being able to anticipate potential issues. So I I work with a, a contractor and I've, I had a contractor for 15 years. Then I got, I was in limbo for a little while. And now I got this gentleman here that's working with me and he's simply, simply amazing. He makes me look so good at the end of the day. Um, I, you know, I get, uh, yeah. Um, and everybody loves him. If you talk to any client, they love him. He will go out of his way to get the job done. So you've got the difficult clients, he'll deal with them. You've got the easy clients, he'll deal with them. So, um, uh, he's, he's amazing and we work very closely together, but he's the one that comes up. He'll say to me, Oh, by the way, blah, blah, blah. I'll go down. I'll iron things out. We'll make it happen where everybody's happy at the end of the day. Yeah. Well, I find too that the it's the unexpected things that that can often be the tipping scale. And you but know. I warn my clients. Yes, exactly, and that's and even on my contract at the bottom it says should you know I mean I don't have X ray vision. I bring the the contractor in. He takes a look and see where the plumbing may run because we get rid of a lot of walls these days. Yeah. Where electrical may be run, and so he anticipates certain things. At the end of the day, I have come across where um, there was a structure there that wasn't supposed to be there. Okay. What, how do we deal with this now? Well, if we have to do a steel light beam versus an engineered beam or whatever the case may be, you know, well, you know, maybe it's an additional $3,000. As an example, I'll just throw yep. something out. Um, we discussed that with a the client. These are our options. We didn't know that was there. And I did run into this problem once. We didn't know this was there. Nothing indicated in the basement or on the second floor or anything that there was something there. We even cut out walls, drywall, to make sure that there's nothing there. Okay. This particular post, for some ABC reasons, we don't know why the builder decided to put it there to get rid of a wall. Anyways, it was fixed. It was done. It was rectified. Everybody was happy at the end of the day. But, you know, I meet with the client and the contractor. Contractor always discuss this prior to meeting with the client. For sure. So we're both on the same page. Anytime you're doing structural, there's always going to be potential unforeseen stuff that comes up for sure. We try to avoid as much as we can. Absolutely. um, And that's why we do the pre-inspection. But um, if it happens, it happens. It doesn't happen very often, but sometimes it does. I can't say it doesn't happen. Maybe 5 to 10%. Okay. So the two biggest shifts um, that I'm seeing in in needs of clients right now are making homes more accessible or lifespan, um, improving wellness, and of course, in our current situation with COVID, um, what are a few of the things that you've been seeing or that you automatically do in in your projects to help with that? For the um, uh, staying in the home longer? Yeah. Yes. And I find that a lot in people. Um, I just finished a house renovating and the, and, and the couple is in their 70s. Okay. And they plan to stay there for another as long as they can. Let's put it this way. Yeah. And it's a big home. It was like four and a half thousand square foot home for two people. But that's the lifestyle that they have been accustomed to. Anyway, um, what we do is um, uh, I always see what kind of issues the clients have, if any. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the handles is a no, no brainer. We are, we've been using handles versus knobs forever. Yeah. So always handles, um, always rollouts. Everything's on a rollout. Nothing's on a shelf anymore. Um, everything's reachable. So I take into consideration the client's, um, height and mm-hmm. mobility and, and, and plan accordingly. Um, although a lot of people, some people want their cabinets to the ceiling, the people that are more into the contemporary stages quite often don't have uppers at all. 
or may have some open shelves. Okay. Um, so a lot of it is, is uh, you know, from like 18 inches up to whatever, 54 inches as far as the reachability is concerned. Um, I don't do wheelchair accessibility unless somebody's actually in a wheelchair because it doesn't, most of the time, it, the house doesn't allow us to do that. Um, and a lot of people don't want it if they're not in a wheelchair anyway. For sure. You know? um, they're not anticipating that they're going to be in a wheelchair 15 years from now. You know, if it's that's the case, then they make allowance, they move or they do whatever else they do. Um, so these are the, the the main things that I do. You know, um, the faucets and the single lever and all that. That's a no brainer. That's been been happening forever. Um, well, the marketplace has really opened up those opportunities and those options too. They're almost you know standard options now. Where yes, single. But, lever. but I've been putting um, bases on um, on um, on rollouts for forever like i say listen i'd rather you spend if you have a budget spend less money on the finish of the product but get your toys behind your doors yeah yeah get the functionality you know what i mean first. get the functionality so the way i design and a lot of people don't design this way um but this is the only way i can design is i look um i do a functional kitchen first yeah once i have a functional kitchen then i'll turn around and make it pretty put the colors and the finishes and whatever else needs to be done if the kitchen doesn't function there's no need to have a kitchen exactly yeah no i agree is there one particular signature piece that is anastasia oh my in a design yeah there if there's a you know a particular cabinet or an element or something that is just a go to in every one of your kitchen designs. Oh, wow. Um besides undermount sinks. Um I like okay, oh there yes there is one. <laughs> I always 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 put a door on a dishwasher. Okay. I don't like that choppy effect. Um, I don't care about the fridge as much. It looks nice, but I'm not, you know, it has to be a, like a built-in fridge. But a dishwasher, always. Very few and far between clients will put in a kitchen that's done by me with a stainless steel dishwasher. Okay. It doesn't happen. So that is a, a, a key thing. Because I like that continuity and that um, seamless look. I oh, really like sure. that. And that's why... Um, you know, if somebody wants to put in a regular stove, I'll say, don't put in a, at least if you if you can't afford built in products, at least put in a slide in because it looks more built in than just a regular stove that has you know spaces in between yeah. because there's no other way, etc. But a dishwasher with a door, that's definitely 100 percent my. Forte. Okay. Yeah, I know I've developed a, um, a design for a trash cabinet. Oh, recycling bins is always. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. So I, I put together a, a trash cabinet that can fit in as small as 18 inches up to 24, but it can hold recycling bins. It has a pullout above the trash containers that yes. can hold compost, it can hold bags, stuff like that. So that's one yeah. of those go-to pieces that I've got my manufacturers. They've got it all figured out. This is the guarantee, you know, this is just, it's going to work. This is what we need. And this is the space that yes. it has. So absolutely. Yeah. And often, you know, we've made alterations to accommodate electrical because if it's in an island, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, there's just a couple of just that signature piece that I know is going to give my clients the most value. The other thing I always try to do, depending on, on the circumstances, is nine times out of ten, I always have a sink in the island. Yes. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it doubles, from what I've learned in my industry, it doubles the workspace without adding any more countertops because it just allows you that extra. Everything you do in a kitchen, I tell my clients this, everything you do in a kitchen is around water. doesn't matter what it is. You could be toasting bread. You're going to take the breadcrumbs and throw them in the sink. So everything you do is around water and you do it so unconsciously, you don't even realize you're doing it. And I share these stories with my, all my clients. Um, so there's very few people that have done an island, maybe two or three maximum in my time that have done an island without a, um, a sink. Oh, makes sense. I never really looked at it that way. But yeah, that uh, it does. Everything evolves around water. Everything's around water. I mean, I don't have room in my own kitchen 
to do two sinks, but I, what I will do, I mean, separate sinks, I will do either one large sink or two sinks beside each other, but two faucets. Okay. So my husband and I can both work at the kitchen at the same time. Without tripping on each other. Well, because you want water, right? Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. So you talked about your team and what are some of the most important attributes that you find when you look for in trades? Um, that they do the job as though it was their own, in their own home. Um, I think uh, the, take, the, the main, main uh, one that I find is taking pride in their work. Yeah, that's... They don't take pride in their work, you know, um, no. Yeah. And communication. Big communication is key. For sure. With everyone, but taking pride in their in their in what they do, yes, absolutely. Oh, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. So for anybody that's listening, um, can you tell them where they can find you? Oh, well, I have a website that really haven't put any work into it. It's been slopped together. So th- please don't <laughs> judge me on my website. I always talk like you can look at my website. Don't try, don't uh, judge me on because it's not a reflection of our skills. No, you know I had a business um, for twenty five years. I've been in the industry for thirty five now, but I had a business for twenty five years, and I had a website and all that. I sold my website and my business name to someone because I didn't want to work twenty four seven at the business. I wanted to have my freedom and pick and choose. Um, and just like the client, the, I think a client and a designer need to, um, really melt nicely together, Absolutely. you know, um, if they don't, then I, and I tell my clients, if, you know, if you don't feel comfortable with me, please don't hire me and, and vice versa, because sometimes, you know how you have this gut feeling, even, even us as designers, and I've run into this, I don't have a good feeling about this client, but you know, it's a $200,000 project. And right now I need the business, mm-hmm. so I'm going to take it. And it works out to be a sour, um, uh, it, it, the relationship goes sour. So it's happened twice in my, uh, twice in the last 10 years. Okay. So now that I don't have that massive overhead of a showroom, um, I still have a certain amount of overhead, obviously, but um, uh I still charge my worth, whatever I'm worth. So just because you don't have the massive overhead doesn't mean you're worth less. Um, I've forgotten your question now. <laughs> um, we, I think we were just talking about attributes of trades and whatnot, but I, I too totally agree with you in regards to the the connection with a client. Uh, I mean, these renovations, kitchens, baths—they're so personal. Yes, and you get yes. into how people live, how they cook, how they entertain, bathing habits. You know, sometimes but you know get- what the client's going to buy you before they buy anything you have to serve them. Yeah, exactly. And I they find- buy you first. So if you come out, and I try to come out very honest and forthright because um, I don't like problems and issues on my job sites. I like everything to go smoothly. And so being upfront, listening to the client, giving them what they want, writing it down on paper so nobody forgets. Yes. Um, you know, that's really important. Uh, being forthright and honest. And quite often, if the client wants something and something's gone sour, I will pay for it out of my pocket to get it done correctly, because I think that's important for my client. And, you know, if I make $100 less or $1,000 less or whatever the case may be, it's not relevant. Yeah, for sure. To me, my client and his experience is more important to me than anything else. Yeah, Money is not as important as my client's experience. Absolutely. No, I totally agree. And I've always kind of aligned myself in, in a way that, I'm not going to sell something to my client because it brings a bigger commission or a better bottom line. It's, it's always client first. And, you know, I don't want to have to push somebody into making a choice or a decision because it's a massive decision. You know, renovations are huge investment and it has to be about them and their needs, not about the bottom line. But you know what? I find that I can do that better now 
I'm not saying I didn't do it before because I did do it before big time, but I can do it better now because I don't have to take that order. Exactly. Unless we melt together. I don't have to say, well, you know, it's a big order and I should take it. No, I don't need to. You know what I mean? Which is um, a great, great place to be. It's an amazing place to be. I travel when I can. I'm home when I can. I love to work. I don't think I'll ever stop working. I agree. No, I, I love, it. I love, it's a passion of mine. So when you love what you do, there's a book that's written. Uh, I don't know if you remember the author, but love what you do and money will follow. Fair enough. So I love what I do. And if money follows, great. If it doesn't, that's fine too. Now that's, I actually, I just thought of a question and I forgot it now, but it was, it was about that and that, that connection and that passion and, and doing this because we want to do it, not because we have to. And I think that makes such a difference in the, um, in the authenticity of, of that relationship. And, uh, that's awesome. You're going to be with this person for six months, eight months, nine months, a year sometimes. From the time you start the process to the time you finish, it's at least a year. What's the longest time you've spent in a planning process with a client? I had one client. They had issues with getting permits, but I had she put in a deposit. Um, we I didn't start the kitchen until three and a half years later. Okay. And they I, had I, issues with my biggest was two years so yeah it was a custom home and and they were doing I was doing all of the cabinetry and uh but it was a two-year process and and you know what uh somebody asked me what's your attributes like what are you good at and I said patience 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 very good I would, I would come home and I would you know sometimes have it out with my husband he says to me I don't understand you're so patient with your clients. It says, yeah, but then I'm drained. Yeah. And I have to let go when I come home. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I, I find that the the transparency um, and integrity is has been affected by a lot of the the I don't know. I don't what I don't even know what to call them. You know, the the hobbyist. Uh, renovator people or, that don't go, do a good job exactly and those that don't have that yeah. you know that connection and that you know and you know as somebody in the industry that has to constantly battle that um reputation of the industry which mm-hmm. is unfortunate and i know there's some awesome contractors out there that are speaking out and you know being transparent and talking about important things like yourself um it you know, the more of us that speak out, the the more of us that can change that perception of the industry. And uh, I think that's really, really important. So can you give us your website? Uh, www.anastasiaid for interior design. So it's A-N-A-S-T-A-S-I-A-I-D dot C-A. That's awesome. So if anybody's in the Toronto area, they know where to find you. And you know what? And all of my jobs since I've sold my business um, five years ago have all been referrals. Which is awesome. That, yeah. And that speaks volumes too. Yeah. I, I In one of my books, I talk about um, if you've got a, if you're looking for a contractor and if they don't have a client that is willing to speak on their behalf, that it's it's often a red flag. That because uh, referrals speak volume. Yes, and again, it relates to that whole client experience. So absolutely, absolutely, which is awesome. You know, for the people that listen and they can get some takeaways on, you know, just what somebody who has passion in the industry. Um, again, it's that communication, that transparency, that you know, that connection, and how important it is. And it will help somebody that when they're looking for somebody in the industry for a renovation, that that they can you know look for those things too. So, well, I go with um, uh, a lot of people who do, will go with referral, but I've noticed uh, recently, not recently, for some time now, because I do turnkey projects. So most clients, especially people that are, you know, going to spend $100,000 on a kitchen or more, um, they don't want to start hiring the plumber, hiring the electrical, hiring the contractor, hiring the designer. 
So my forte in, in my own personal business and what I've done after I sold my business and I work on, so I used to work under an Andros Kitchen Bath Design. So that was my company, which I've sold. Um, and now it's Anastasia Interior Design, which allows me to do more than kitchens and bathrooms, just the name. Um, but um, I find that, oh, the renovation, I was going to say about the renovations, because I have a turnkey effect. Okay, most people don't want to do the kitchens and the countertops yeah. with one company and then hire their own contractor to do it with whatever else, you know, the rest of it, because then the two have to talk. And then they kind of in between. And yeah. the contractor yeah. says, well, I didn't know the kitchen company was going to do this. And the kitchen company says, well, I didn't know the contractor was going to do this. So my forte has been throughout my years is that I can do the whole thing. I can do from consultation to design to um, concept to plants, elevations, and all the renovations all wrapped under one umbrella. For sure. Well, and I find too, when you're, when you have a regular team, they, they understand your style, they yeah. understand your expectations. Plus there's a control factor. I've done kitchens where the homeowners were sourcing their own uh, countertops and things start to derail because the expectation of timing and delivery and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, starts to leave your control and things start to go wrong. So I always try and control as many aspects as possible in order to ensure you know, just a smooth it's funny flowing you project. say that because um, the, I ha, I, I'm working with a company right now where they actually um, will put a plywood underneath the cabinets and if the if your profile is like three inches in thick they'll build that up and have it ready for the countertop people um okay. most companies don't do that and then there's companies that do countertops to say well your cabinet guy didn't do the prep work or some of them do do the prep work so you need to have that communication and this is where the designer that does has control over this can assist the the homeowners for sure. Oh, yeah. And that's that experience, too. I also find, too, um, with cabinet manufacturers, each of them have their own little unique nuances of how Two they things. put yes. cabinets together or they'll have um, fixed shelves, you know, different things like that. And I find it takes a good two years to learn a manufacturer and all their little yes. quibs and, and quirks that that as a designer you need to be aware of so that when implementing it, uh, you don't run into surprises on That's the site. Right. I, I thoroughly agree. Great. Yeah, it's, it's, I've had to, I had a, a big change in, in manufacturer. I'd had a, a cabinet manufacturer I'd had for eight years and all of a sudden they just stopped delivering to my region. And it was, it was a huge shock because trying to find somebody else that you have that level of communication with and it, it's a challenge. And uh, like I said, it, I always have said it takes a good two years to learn a cabinet line inside and out, which is what you need. It's funny. I had that same um, experience. I was working with a company out of Quebec and um, we stopped working together for various reasons. And I went to um, somebody local here and initially he was really good. And then his communication skills were like, lacked big time like it was like five percent out of a hundred like nothing couldn't get him to uh, to you know answer my calls back couldn't get him to text me couldn't get him to do anything for me to speak to him i literally got into my car and went to his office there was no wow. other way for me to communicate with him he has one more job he's finishing a couple of jobs on me and i says that's it wash my hands i've already found someone else so yeah, sometimes you know and usually when i find somebody i do something for myself to see what they're like. So he did something for me and it was great. And yeah. then with the clients, you know, he, um, that communication lacked. So I can't work with that person. Um, yeah. And then it just mm -hmm. snowballs has the snowball effect on yes. the project for sure. That's awesome. Do you go to KBiz every year? I used to. Um, I haven't last time I went to KBiz. Oh God. It, it's probably, three or four years ago, at least. Okay. Um, maybe four years ago. I haven't gone because, why haven't I gone? I've been going, I've been traveling. 
So I go south or I go to Japan. I've been to Japan one winter when it was there. I went to, um, you know, I'll go on a cruise with friends or whatever. So quite often it's, it's um, uh, it just didn't work out, uh, the timing. <clears throat> but I'm due to go again. Uh, but now COVID hit. Yes, it's it's definitely going to be a challenge for next year, especially being in uh, in kind of a hot zone in Florida. It's funny because I was going to go to Eurocochina this year. So I was planning on it. I was looking at you know it's and, and then Milan, voila! And I said, thank God we didn't go. And I hadn't you know I hadn't booked anything, and I would have booked. And then the person, the a young lady I was going to go with. Um, uh, with her uh, partner, uh, they decided they were really too busy to go, which kind of put a damper. Says I didn't want to w- go on my own. I wanted to go with a, a bunch of girls. Mm-hmm. So thank God they decided not to go, and I didn't go. Otherwise, you know, I would have been out a lot of money. Well, and it got postponed originally till June, and then I I haven't heard if it's been rescheduled for 2021 or if they're pushing it. I don't think anything's – I think everyone's going to wait till the end of the year to see what's going on. And I don't know that KBIS will happen next. It's planning. They're is it really? In, yep. They've confirmed that it is going ahead. Um, it will be a wow. – right now it will be a blend of in-person and virtual. Um, so anybody that doesn't want to attend live, they will be – they will have a virtual um, platform as but, well. But exhibitors are going to be – as far as I know, as far as I know, because I know I'm presenting or supposed to be presenting in Voices of the Industry, and they've asked if we're willing to be recorded. Um, and then, of course, they ask if we are attending live. And I can't answer that right now because the borders are closed. So we'll see what what happens for that. But um, what are you presenting? Um, it's a program on lighting and color for living in place. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah. Became a bit of a lighting geek. Um, after I had done a huge project for a client, we were renovating main floor of their home and I hadn't got into really lighting or understanding of lighting and the electrician, they had their own electrician and they picked fixtures and it was, it just turned a spectacular kitchen design into something very flat because the lighting was not adequate. And I was like, okay, I need to figure this out. So I started to study lighting and have got quite involved in it. And of course, it's the evolution of lighting in the last five years is spectacular. So it's, um, I really, really enjoy it. And then after CEDIA last year, um, it was an enormous eye-opener for the evolution of lighting and the technical capabilities yes. of it. You know, I um as much as I love lighting, I just find it so dry. It's just not I love <laughs> lighting, but I find it dry. It's one aspect of my industry that yes, I'm going to light you. Yes, I'm going to do this that and the other, but I just find it dry and I've taken so many courses and it's just you know, it's just not me. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, I it one it- thousand other things but lighting. Yeah, it, it's so technical yes. and there is like, you really just fall down a rabbit hole. And of course, you know, I've been doing so much research lately um, in regards to wellness and mm-hmm. the aspects of wellness. And of course, lighting is a huge part of that, but it, you just get lost in a sea of technical information and it it's really rather astounding, but you need to find yourself a good lighting designer. Yes. Well, yes. Um, are you, did, do you have your caps? I have clip. clip I, okay. I did the clip training instead of caps and okay. uh, have I'm, quite- I'm, I'm kind of embarking to see if I can do that. Um, it's being offered online, obviously. Um, yeah, they do virtual, mm-hmm. which is, and they've changed the virtual. I did my training virtually uh, a couple years ago and the, the platform that they're um, that they're using, they've reduced it because it used to be over uh, six days, and I think now it's only four. Okay. But it's it's actually very intuitive. Um, it's very interactive, which is nice. Mm-hmm. And they have actually created a manual uh, for ca- the Canadian market because there are some significant differences between um, 
accessibility laws and and descriptions for yes. Canada versus the U.S. So yes. they've, they've evolved the program from that sense. Was but it from a U.S. company? You, you... Living in Place is U.S.-based. Um, but like I said, they've done a lot of research and created the Canadian the okay. Canadian manual, which is great. Clip. But I found What's the difference between clip and caps? Um, well, I'm having not taken caps. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Um, I, I have colleagues that have that have done both. I find um, the clip is more not totally age related. They talk about um, pretty much anything that can require an accessibility adjustment um, throughout life stages. It's not just for people 65. You know what? Um, yeah. They're doing something like that. They were going to do something like that in the spring or in the summer of, or spring or summer of this year um, in Toronto. Um, and obviously because of COVID, it was postponed. I, I don't know until the when. The Livable Environment Conference. Yes. yes. And very and good I was, I was going to be in charge of that. And as far as the... Um, the DA is concerned. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, um, so Linda Kafka has got yes. the livable environment conference. It is, um, been rescheduled for October. It will be, uh, entirely virtual. It's, it's going to be a, a phenot like the speakers and the keynotes that she's got, uh, lined up are, are really, really exciting. And I think it's, um, it's really time that the built environment mm-hmm. starts to address the accessibility Absolutely. and and lifespan functions that that people need. You know, if if homes were built with you know more of a lifespan uh, thought process in them, they wouldn't need to. They, they wouldn't, wouldn't have back. They wouldn't have um, semi-detached or back-detached houses. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, and then don't even get me started on the whole seniors residence. Um, oh, my God. Yes. I, I like I, I know when we chatted before, I was absolutely stunned at the specifications in a seniors residence. So there there needs to be some awareness from developers and builders. Um, and I'm hoping, you know, a lot of them will be attending the conference because I know it's open to architects and, and builders. And I really, I really think they need the awareness more than anything just to, uh, you know, they've got these high end seniors residents that are being built that are in affluent neighborhoods and they're, they're mediocre. Their, their designs are mediocre at best. Yes, 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 yes. Disappointing. So yeah. But yeah, if uh, if you're ever interested in the clip, um, um, yeah, I would. I think clip may be even better than caps. Personally, I know well, right now caps is charging eight hundred dollars US. Not that that's going to make me or break me, and as far as you know, which direction go. But I think uh, being able to design with um, any type of disability or challenge in the home uh, for any age is more is more in tune with our lifestyles today versus, uh, you know, just, just the aging group. Oh, for sure. Well, and for somebody with your experience too, a lot of it becomes intuitive. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And, and I know, I mean, it's hard to talk about some of the accessibility aspects without getting into um, somebody that's got physical challenges or age related challenges, whether it be vision or um, cognitive or, you know, those sort of things. But you know, I've been really trying to um, relate some of those things to people with younger, same challenges, but in in a younger age spectrum. Um, one of them being, you know, the horizontal line that they put in showers, which helps with vertigo and and you know other visual uh, aspects. But I have um, a young girl that works in a showroom, and she has severe astigmatism. So when she takes her glasses or contacts off, which is typically the condition that you're in standing in your bathtub or shower, mm-hmm. having the that horizontal line in her shower or having some of the new uh, shower doors with the grid patterns, yes. it gives her a sense of her space Yes, visually without the glasses or, you know, some kind of assisted device. And she's in her mid-20s. Wow. 
Yes. So things like that, that would make a difference for any age group. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not totally age related. Exactly. So, exactly. I know, I know we have a huge, massive population. They're all aging right now and they'll be aging for the next, you know, 50, 20 years at least. Um, the baby boomers. And, you know, I think they're gearing it towards that. But like you said, any age group that has any kind of um, challenge uh, should be addressed. Yeah. Well, and I've had clients too that, um, you know, were in their 40s or 50s and have had, unfortunately had yes. car accidents yes. and suffered a brain injury yes. or things like that. And, Again, not age related, but circumstance related. And nobody nobody knows what life's going to throw at them. And having just some simple accommodations like level entry showers or a bench in a shower, handheld units for showering, it makes any of those circumstances, you could trip and fall and, and break your ankle. And being able to get into the shower, or have you know a place to sit would make that time frame of your of your physical challenge much simpler yeah. so just some intuitive things that kind of accommodate whatever life's going to throw at you yes I agree. So. anyways it has been such a great pleasure having this chat and uh, I do look forward to connecting next time we get to go to an event no problem and, uh, do you plan to come to Toronto anytime soon um, I think my daughter's coming. Um, she's got to do an interview for a school that she wants to go to. So I told her, I said, we'd drive down together. So, Okay. Would, uh, Is that happening in September? Um, I think it's coming this fall. I think she they're doing interviews this fall. So we'll be taking a trip well, down. Well, connect with me. Maybe we can get together. For sure. That, I'd love that. It was lovely talking to you. And I thoroughly enjoyed this. Absolutely. Thank you so much. You're welcome. A huge thank you to Anastasia for joining us. Her website again, if you missed it and are in the Toronto area, is www.anastasiaid.ca. And my website, if you're in the Ottawa area, is detailbydesign.ca. And as always, send me an email to get a free copy of our Inside Renovations ebook. And for more info on clip training, you can check out the livinginplace.institute. Or for tickets uh, for the Livable Environment Conference, you can go to livablecanada.com. The conference is open to anyone. Thanks again for listening, and be sure to like this episode and share with uh, all your friends. And until next time, happy renovating.